As you're turning uh, to Matthew chapter 20, uh, there's a game that we play in youth ministry, or it's also happened on uh, bigger scales. Uh, It's called Bigger and Better. And what it is, it's where you go out and you start uh, typically with a, uh, you start with a paper clip. And the idea is that you would go out and you would go to different people's homes, or uh, if you're at a college, people's dorm rooms or whatever, and you're trying to trade for something bigger and better. And so, you know, you take the paper club and you said, hey, I'll, I'll trade you for something bigger or something better. And again, they can give you like, well, I have a pencil or I have a trash can that I don't use or, or whatever. And so the idea is that you take that item and then you go to somewhere else and you trade for something bigger and better. And again, you come away with some pretty, well, a lot of times people are trying to get rid of their junk. Okay, so a lot of times that's what's happening is you just become the go-between between them and taking their stuff to the dump. Um, So you wind up with things like old pools, you wind up with old rusty chairs, but sometimes there's some nice things. And we've had uh, couches given to us and uh, people have given bowling balls and different things. And it's been on such a scale throughout the nation that there's actually somebody who actually traded something bigger and better all the way up to a house um, in this game. And so there's some incredible things that you can get with a bigger and better hunt. Um, But here's the problem is when that becomes an expectation. And again, that's where we kind of find ourselves here in the book of Matthew is, um, and it's why Stephen read for us, why I wanted us to go to Matthew 19 before we got to here was because here's this rich young ruler who's asking, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus says, hey, go give everything away and give to the poor and come and follow me. And it said that that man was very, um, he was overwhelmed because he had a lot of money, but it doesn't stop there. Because Peter asked the question to Jesus and he says, hey, hey, Jesus, we gave up everything. We didn't do what the rich young ruler did. We gave up everything to follow you. What do we get out of the deal? Hmm. And so what Jesus does is he begins to give us this parable. And he's wanting to teach us this morning about grace, grace that is giving very freely and abundantly. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then let's read and get study going with our study. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, it's your word, not ours. And so Father, you teach, you lead, you guide, you change us, you transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, please don't let us just remain here unchanged. Father, either tick us off or, Father, drive us to the cross. But, Lord, please let this be about eternal things. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. 
And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So here we have this parable. And again, for those of us in America, capitalists, that is unfair. We don't like this parable. We don't like it because we do believe that there is an inequality here and that those who worked for only an hour should not get the same amount of money as those who worked 10. So here is our understanding as they begin to grumble against the master. First of all, we need to understand the work and the wages of the day. So typically a Jewish worker would work a typical 10 hour day from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so they would have shown up um, at the marketplace and the workers, the landowners would go out and they would find the workers and they would grab what workers were there and they would then go into a negotiation. And the negotiation was typically for a denarius, okay, a typical day's worker for one day's worth of work, 10 hours. And so they go into contract. And so he does this with these workers at 6 a.m. and he's going to get a full 10 hours day out of them for denarius. Well, there's also, he goes back though, this landowner and says, he not only goes at six, but he also goes at 9 a.m. Then it says it goes at noon. He goes at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and he does the unthinkable. He goes at five o'clock in the evening where there's only one more hour of work. He goes to the marketplace to find more workers to go out into the field. And he doesn't go into negotiation with them. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to pay you a denarius. He says, hey, I'm going to just let you go work in my field for whatever I think is fair to pay you. And they go. Now, Part of this is that we have to recognize in this parable that the parable is about the landowner. It's not about economic principles. If you're looking for this to go and and teach a business class, that's not what it's there for. It says the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like this landowner because the kingdom of heaven is the landowner. And he is the owner who's who's in control from the beginning to the end. And listen, he is the one who shows grace to those who were unchosen in the marketplace. Now think about it. If, again, if he is someone who's going and he's going and he finds the people there at 6 a.m. And he takes those people, then he comes back at 9 a.m. And there's still more people there. They have either been there, either they've come a little late or they've been there and no one's hired them. And so he says, well, you come out to my field and I'm going to pay you as well. 
so I can take care of you. But then there's people that still haven't been hired. They're at noon. So half of the day is gone. And he says, well, I'm going to have compassion on you as well. Then he goes at three o'clock and then ultimately at five o'clock. And these people still need to listen, provide for their families. They still need to take care of. And so is it their fault that they haven't been hired by other people? Maybe. We don't know. We're not told. I mean, did they sleep in till noon and then they get up and they go, well, I'm just going to go down and check to see if anybody's hiring. I don't know. Maybe they did. But maybe there were people there that were there at 6 a.m. that didn't get hired. They got, kept getting passed over and passed over and passed over for all the jobs. And they're sitting there and they're begging God, God, please, I need to provide for my family. I need someone to come. And they're still there at 5 o'clock hoping, begging, please let me have one hour of work so that I might feed my family. And see, it's the landowner that has compassion. And what he does is he then gets to the place of the payday at the end of the day. And again, you work for a day's labor and you got paid a day's labor. And so he tells his foreman to come and he does a strange thing. And he says, I want you to pay those who came last, pay them first. And so what does he do? He has those who come last, the ones that have worked for one hour and they get a full day's pay. And they're celebrating. They go home. I got a full day's pay for an hour's worth of work. Yay! It's the U.S. government. Right? I get to go home. And I'm paid, fully paid. But then the people who work a half a day come and they get the same pay. But then the people are thinking, well, well may, maybe that's not so bad. But surely those of us who worked a full day's labor is going to get a little bit more. And when they come and they get paid, they get paid their denarius. And they begin to grumble. (laughs) And they begin to grumble and bring accusations of injustice because they say, along with most Americans, this is not fair. It's not fair because we should receive more. They worked for an hour. We worked for 10 and you pay us the same. This is crazy. This is not only that, but they got to come and they got to work in the cool of the day. We had to work all day in the heat and with all the struggles. Now, I also want you to understand this, that if a landowner goes and gets workers He, by law, had to take care of those workers throughout the day. Now, probably what's happening is this is probably during the time where they're coming and they're taking up the grapes. And what they said in the course of this day that the landowner loses 3% of his profit to people eating grapes throughout the day from the workers that he hires. So this landowner has been taking care of these people. Don't think that they were out there slaving, being beat over their um, shoulders with whips or anything like that. They were probably taken care of pretty well while they were out in the field. They were able to eat what they wanted to eat, drink what they wanted to drink, take breaks. But they did put in a full day's labor. They worked hard. And so they come with expectations that they deserve a little bit more than what they went into. 
So what happens is they start to become bitter. Now, think about this. Let's listen to this illustration. There was a a father who went to Philadelphia for a trip, and he had a son who loved the Philadelphia Phillies. And so the father goes goes and buys a hat, a Phillies hat, to bring back to his son. And so he brings the hat back, and he looks at his son, and he hands him the Phillies hat. And he's just like, Dad, this is the best gift you could ever give to me. I love the Phillies. And he starts to cry. This is so great. This is the best gift I've ever been given, Dad. I'm so grateful that you love me. Oh, son, I'm so happy that you love this hat. And so he gives the hat, and he sets him off to the side, and he brings the other son over, and he says, Here, son, here's your iPad. Whoa! So the son who just had this Philadelphia's hat, that this was the greatest gift that anybody could ever give to him, looks at his brother who just now has received an iPad. It's not fair. I get a hat, and he gets an iPad. What I really needed to get was I needed to get the hat plus an iPad. Have we ever done that with God? Have ever we looked at God and said, this just isn't enough? Now, again, this is kind of bigger picture. And it's the Jewish people looking at the Gentile people coming into the kingdom and saying, God, we've been here through all the trials and tribulations. We were in slavery. We were having to fight the wars to go into the promised land. We were the ones that had to be sent into exile. We were the ones that had to be beaten and our our possessions taken and all these things. All this stuff has been taken away from us. And now you're just going to let these Gentiles come into the kingdom? That's not fair. Maybe you think because you've been grown up in the church and you've been a Christian pretty much all your life that it's not fair that people like me who were dirtbags and jerks as kids were saved and God gave me the opportunity to go to heaven just like you. It's not fair. God, I've done everything you've asked of me. So I deserve just a little bit more. And so what happens is they start developing hard hearts towards the master. Jim Boyce says this of Christians, a lot of times we quit singing amazing grace and we say it's amazing boredom. We get bored with the gospel. We get bored with Jesus Christ. Grace is no longer amazing to us. It's just routine. I'm saved by grace, by faith, through Christ alone, through faith alone. To God alone be the glory. Yay. See, we of all people every week should be coming in here, and I know we're Presbyterian, most of us, but we of all people should be in here rejoicing more than anybody else. And that doesn't mean I'm asking you to come in here with rhythm sticks and jumping in the aisles or anything like that, 
but in your heart, are you praising God as if it's the first time you heard the gospel message? I am a sinner saved by grace. It is nothing I bring. It's only of Jesus Christ. And he gives to me everything. So I owe to him everything. See, that's what he calls us to. Instead of getting envious and bitter, what we should do is look to the master's generosity because that's where he takes us. Now listen, nobody on that day received injustice. There were a group that received justice. Hey, go and work one day for this pay. He gave them exactly what he told them. He didn't cheat them. He was generous. He was generous to give them a full day's pay. But there was also a group that received grace, that received a gift they didn't deserve. But there was no one who received injustice. R.C. Sproul uses this example because, again, it goes to our idea of, of fairness. And he says there was a professor who said at the beginning of the semester, at every, the last day of every month, you're going to turn in a paper. If you don't turn in a paper, then you're going to receive a zero for that assignment. Does everybody understand that? Yes, everybody understands that. The first month comes. He has some students come up to him and starts to, to whine and complain to him. We didn't get our paper done. We couldn't get it done. Will you give us a little bit more time? So the, the professor says, fine, turn it in on Monday. Day, I'll give you full credit. Well, then the second month's come and a few more students don't turn in their paper and they come, they say, Oh, we couldn't get it done. Can we have an extension? Sure. Have an extension. Turn it in Monday. I'll give you full credit. The third month comes, there's more students come up, didn't turn in their paper. And he says, you all get zeros. And what's the response? That's not fair. He says, you're right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to everybody who didn't turn in your paper on the day it was due, and you get zeros for every paper that wasn't turned in. Do we want justice? No, we don't want justice. And so God is the one who comes as this, this great master, this great landowner, and listen, he owes us nothing. He owes us absolutely nothing. And yet in his sovereign rights of the landowner, he comes and he gives to us in abundance and he overflows to us. But a lot of times we become suspicious, don't we? We think that God is shortchanging us in our lives. And some of us begin to start thinking, well, if I just put in the right things, if I come to church and I put in that amount of money, if I come and I give my tithe, and if I come to youth group, if I come to small group, if I come to my uh, accountability group and don't lie, well, then I can put in that kind of money. And you know what happens when I put in all the right things and I can press the button and God has to bless me. And what that means is I get good kids. I get a good career. I get a house that never has anything that breaks down. I get a car that never, ever fails. I get good things all the time and sunshine's blown everywhere that I go. Because God owes that to me. Or maybe sometimes we think that it's God's fault for the things in our lives. God, come on. I mean, it could be little things. 
I mean, haven't you, haven't you been outside and, and try to like sweep up or blow your sidewalk or whatever, and God brings a big wind and blows the opposite way, and you're just like, come on. God, I know you're in control of the wind, and that's not funny. You might be laughing, but I'm not laughing because now it's gonna, I'm going to be wasting my time out here trying to blow this stupid sidewalk so I don't get the HOA to come in here and yell at me about my sidewalk being dirty. Come on. But it can also be in great things. I mean, Neil told how many people have passed away this past week just connected to our church. How many people are dealing with life-altering diseases and sicknesses? It's easy to say, God, why me? Why my house? Why my child? Why my wife? Why my father? Huh. Why not us? Remember Johnny Dewey, uh, one of our connections over in Northern Ireland, and he had his daughter that was born premature, his his first daughter. And so um, over there, they would have to drive back to the hospital, and it was over an hour away because that was the closest hospital that could deal with his child. And so he was driving every day, and, and the people in the church were praying for him and for his little daughter and for all of her issues. And they were saying, oh, this is just so, so bad, Johnny. And, and you, here you are working for the Lord. You're working as, uh, in the church. And why would God do this to you? And I remember his response very clearly. He says, why wouldn't God do this to me? I of all people know where I need to run and where my hope is found. If this happens to a non-Christian, they have no hope. God, please let it happen to me so that I might be an example to show others of where to run for their hope and their mercy and their grace. Or maybe we start to look at what God gives to others and we begin to envy what they have compared to us. God, I I wish I had that. God, I, I... Why didn't you give me this? Why didn't you put me in this situation? Why did you do this? Why does he get more? Why does he get better? Why does she get whatever? So we begin to get bitter with God and we begin to envy the gifts that he gives to other people. And we forget mercy at its core. And here's the thing, God's rewards are just and they're always generous. How do I know that? Because God is a generous master. And the master, first of all, values us. How do we know that? In this passage, he goes and he doesn't value, listen, he doesn't value his prophet. He values people. And he knows what's needed to take care of them. And he says to those who become bitter and begrudging him, do you begrudge my generosity? Is it not mine to give? Is it not God's grace to give to who he wants to give, when he wants to get it, and how much he wants to give? He never did injustice. He gives 
freely because he values us. But not only does he value us, he knows us. He knows what we need when we need it. Now that's hard. Because we start asking questions, do I really trust God? And do I really trust God and believe that he is good? Because sometimes he takes us to the very end, to the very last moment before he says, here's my answer. And it's uncomfortable. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. Not one of us. And so he draws us to a place where he says, are you going to look with grace colored glasses? One of the things that used to booger me up, now I appreciate them, but one thing that used to booger me up a little bit was at men's Bible study, we'd always ask people, what are their prayer requests? And Dave Riches, and I'm, I'm naming names, and Dave Riches would say, I'm blessed. God's blessed me beyond anything I deserve. And I'd be like, that's, that's a cool answer, Dave. But what do you want us to pray for? Nope, I'm good. I believe Dave actually knew this lesson before I did. Everything that God gives us is a blessing. Everything. The hard times as well as the good times. Why are the hard times good? Because Jesus is there. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there. He got in. Remember when he put the disciples in the boat and he sends them across and he, that storm hits and they get up and they're saying, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus is just like, you have little faith. Hey, I knew you're going to hit the storm when I got in the boat with you. I've been in the storm with you the whole time. And I know we're going to get to the other side. Why worry? Why worry? Because Jesus says, I am there. Start looking with grace-colored glasses. How has God been gracious to you? How do you want graciousness for other people? Because he says this very catching phrase, the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, it's a corporate as well as an individual application. The corporate application God is going to take those whom he chooses. And if he chooses the Gentiles, if he chooses these non-Christians to come and be a part and receive grace, that's his generosity. Just as much as he does for us who are in the church. Generosity. But it's also for us individually. Are we prepared to be last for one another? Do we rejoice for one another? Do we pray God's blessings for one another? And again, I think that's hard. God, please let the dykes go on a really great vacation, but not as good as mine. Let them see their grandkids, but let one of them throw up on Susan. So she just to kind of humble her. (laughs) 
Are we really saying, God, please make me the least and take what I have to make others the greatest in the kingdom? That's anti who we are at the core. And yet that's what God gave to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the perfect God, humbles himself, comes to earth as a man, humbles himself even to death and death on a cross. The one person who should never have gone to the cross with a perfect God-man, Jesus goes. Why? To pay for us so that we might receive his righteousness so that we can stand in God's presence and receive his mercy and grace. And so that one day we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You are my sons and you are my daughters. Enter into your rest forevermore. Grace, grace, God's grace abundant grace, everlasting grace. Never should we become tired of it. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your table, it's a table that you've set, and it's the most costly meal that we will ever partake in. For it costs your son everything, his life as a ransom for ours, so that we might come freely and taste and see that you are good, that we might come and taste and feel grace in a very real way. Father, may we be changed by this and may we not be left unto ourselves. But Father, may you change us and now send us to go into the world, to change this world for your kingdom, to your glory, to your honor. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.